Howdy, partner, and welcome to Tom Hanks Giving. I'm your host, Elvis, and today we are talking about 1993's Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia being uh, subject to some weightier issues. Some of the conversations at the podcast today get a little bit more heavier, a little crunchier, so just fair warning up front with that. Uh, although we try to keep it light, there's obviously a lot to talk about with this movie, uh, with the wonderful uh, filmmaking behind it, the incredible performances, as well as some of the uh, more mature subjects. But I think that's all I've got for you up front this week, uh, talking to Joe Hood from Hoodworks and uh, many other wonderful things. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Here we go. Philadelphia. All right, today we're talking here with Mr. Joe Hood. How's it going? How's it going, Alvis? Hoodworks. Yeah. And uh, former BuzzFeed comrade. Yes, yes. Uh, in the trenches. And uh, yeah, and I mean, we're here today to talk about uh, 1993's Philadelphia, starring, of course, Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington. Got some Antonio Banderas in there, Mary Steenburgen. Uh, yes. And Dowd. And Dowd, uh, unrecognizably uh, so. Countless others. Uh, this is a big supporting cast. And uh, directed by Jonathan Demme of yes. uh, Silence of the Lambs fame. And uh, one of the reasons you're here specifically for this episode. Yes, I was trying to get on this That Thing You Do podcast, and then uh, he found out that I interned for Jonathan Demme in college. And uh, when I told him that... There was a binder with Tom Hanks' phone number on it. I was signed up for this podcast. And uh, you did bring that binder here today, correct? Uh, I did not. What? I, I did not. What, what are you doing? That's the whole reason you This hit. was before Instagram. Otherwise, I would have been on my account. But uh, <laughs> Well, okay. So you did. Uh, so you got to intern. And what, what was he working on when you worked with So this him? was 2010, and they were doing um, a master builder. So he had just come off of doing A Gifted Man's first season. Okay. Executive producer that did the pilot. And so then... We were reading scripts for new projects. He was finishing up um, I'm Carolyn Parker, this documentary on Katrina, and he was starting A Master Builder. So I was on set for that. That was like um, the reboot of Dinner with Andre, like the same Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And how how is uh, Mr. Jonathan Demme in person? Jonathan Demme is a very interesting, interesting man. You see him, and he's wearing like a ponytail with like disheveled hair and like a scarf and like glasses that... Crooked, you know, bent up. So he's definitely like an artist type. I like that he's he's crafted a look for himself. Yes, he has. That's impressive. Yes. Uh, you never got to. It never extended to meeting Hanks, though. Never extended to meeting Hanks because he wasn't doing as many projects as he used to. If they were producing more bigger movies, Tom mm-hmm. Hanks would have been in there yeah. producing with him. But you did say that you had another connection in your hometown. Yes. So I have uh, been had the pleasure of knowing Tom Hanks was in the vicinity before because his brother is a professor at University of Illinois, where I grew up. So uh, there's always been this mythical Larry Hanks running around teaching like Larry agricultural Hanks. engineering. Oh, we weren't in uh, the wrong, I was in the wrong. Uh, yeah, I believe class, it was class, I guess. Yeah, no, right. Um, that's uh, that's cool, and uh, I mean. Obviously, you're here to talk about the movie, too. Oh, absolutely. So I just thought that was a neat connection, yeah. and uh, we're very happy to have you. Well, we're on the well, we're on connections. I also have a connection to the other star of this film, Denzel. Oh, yeah, DW. Yeah, DW. So um, went to NYU and had a class with his daughter and Bono's daughter. So she wait, sat wait. right behind me. Him and Bono got together and had a daughter? No, no, no. Bono's daughter, separately. <laughs> And Denzel's daughter. <laughs> it was a it was an easy class, so yeah, <laughs> it was popular. Um, um, yeah, and so uh, yeah, a few times. You uh, ever be like, "Hey, your dads are cool," or is that lame? You wouldn't have done that. Bono's daughter like never showed up except for, like the first week. Big surprise. And uh, then yeah, I mean Denzel came to visit though a few times for like parents' weekend and stuff. So yeah, and you were like, "This is my favorite of your movies." Uh, <laughs> It wasn't up there. I mean, I had the seen Equalizer. Yeah, the Equalizer. That's what we were talking about during the movie. Yeah. We just watched it. We were if, talking about it. If, if this was after <laughs> Equalizer had come out, I definitely would have gone up and said something to it. Oh, it's the perfect uh, power fantasy movie for dads. Yeah. The Equalizer. Um, which is great. But uh, no, let's get into let's get into some Philadelphia stuff. Uh, you want to give us like uh, the briefest of summaries? Yes. Can I throw that on you? Yeah, yeah. So Philadelphia is... A pretty progressive courtroom drama about a lawyer who is hiding the fact that he has AIDS from his employers, and then um, he files a wrongful termination suit against them when they fire him suddenly. Yeah. Um, 
Well, succinct, uh, succinct summary. Right. You're good at this. Yeah, you know. He's, he's, he's making his way to claiming that thing you do. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find all Tom Hanks have connections to and like, I'm going to weasel my way back. Uh, but yeah, um, the, the thing that this movie is, like, it, it's famous for, well, I mean, it's notable for uh, being, you know, the thing Jonathan Demme did right after winning Best Picture with Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Uh, it's notable for Tom Hanks getting his first Oscar um, for Best Performance. Uh, Bruce Springsteen got an Oscar yeah, yes. for uh, the original song he wrote. Um, and obviously it had this, it was a it came out at a time where, like, homosexuality and AIDS especially was still this, like, really insanely taboo topic and a lot of discrimination going on. And it's just, it's crazy to think how recent that, or how many changes the world has gone through with this. Because, like, now this movie is remembered for, I think, on the popular culture standpoint, is like, oh, this is the movie where Tom Hanks has AIDS. Yeah. Like, that's it in the... Where before it was, this is the movie where the guy has AIDS. Yeah. You know? And that was... I mean, the misinformation that that's what big thing that was represented is like just how much people didn't understand. They didn't know how they people were catching it. Even people who had it didn't know how they caught it. Um, people in the room with them were afraid that if he touched their cigars, you know, if yeah. he took it home to his baby. Which, which is, there's a lot of great details in this yeah. movie about that. And like, we'll get into specific choices in the filmmaking later. Um, but yeah, uh, just on the whole, it's, it's, I have to wonder if this movie, because of the strides of progress we've made in the decades since, like has it, it it's not become uh, obsolete, but it's almost like it was a, directly attacking the issues of the time. So it's kind of of its time. It's of its time. And it's almost like more offensive to watch now. Right. Yeah. It's like harder to hear them say some things because you're like, wow, the ignorance is so real. Yeah. And it's, and it's so, it's so, Close to yeah, where so, we are. Exactly. I mean, like the big crux of the movie is uh, Denzel's character is prejudiced, openly prejudiced towards homosexuals. Yeah, and uh, his, you know, he overcomes. That's his character arc here. But like, it's hard because we're supposed to like this guy, and uh, but I think he was the per- that was the perfect way to go in 1993 because it's like this is how we're going to get the common people to relate to this issue. It's the classic reluctant hero, but just with the social issue, you know? Which yeah, Which is pretty yeah. interesting. Um, so I think it's a really powerful stuff. They kind of good confluence of all the energies and put together a lot of things. Um, I read a rumor right before we started watching, and, I, you know, this is IMDb, so who knows if it's actually realistic, but um, uh, obviously when they went with Tom Hanks for casting the, uh, the lead character, um, Andrew Beckett, uh, they kind of wanted to go with, oh, here's kind of a safe choice. Audiences will recognize they'll they'll empathize with Hanks because we've known him from all these comedy movies all these years. So like, there's kind of a, I mean, every time you have a casting Built-in situation, kind of thing. yeah, I mean, you cast for a reason, but like, this is part of the reason you always cast Hanks. It's like there's this immediate likability and this warmth. Um, but what I found on, and this again maybe is speculation, but uh, apparently they were looking at people like Bill Murray or something, someone lighter for the Denzel role, Um, which to me seems shocking because I feel like a huge motivator and kind of the racial discrimination uh, parallel. Yeah, yeah, so that wouldn't have been a play, you're saying? Yeah, which seems like that that's what seems so obvious in retrospect, but yeah. like that would they would have gone completely a different direction. Because yeah. I think it's specifically that library scene where it just hits home that issue. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and that really does the whole thing of making it his arc make a lot more sense, you know? Yeah. It doesn't just seem like social justice It's like there's actually, like, a common struggle there. Yeah. He can – I mean, that's – in that library scene, he finally sees the humanity. Um, and then it kind of just – I mean, it's not that he didn't see him as a human before, but, like, yeah. he relates to him and, yeah, it's kind of what builds or at least starts the arc. It's like – Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it it gets to that point where it's like really cringeworthy when the the mom says I didn't raise my kids to be <laughs> the back of the yes. bus. So I think this movie does like really well handled uh, material uh, with the racial discrimination and the the homosexuality discrimination parallels, and then it's really obtuse in places. It is, but then it's a good point that sometimes it was spot on though. Like I mean, like we said, this wasn't that long ago, but. It, 
even that being said, there was the time where they were, Denzel was talking to his wife, how many gay people do you know? I don't know any. And she's like, yeah, you do. Yeah. You know, we know like, like this person, this person, Teresa, this person. Yeah. yeah, Aunt Teresa. And he had no idea. I rem- I still remember that conversation with my parents. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, th- and that was 2000 something, you know, like. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Because I, I, I. Everyone has that moment. What was it? Uh, Obama. Where they humanize it. Was, you know, ran, ran a campaign in 2008 on uh, marriages between a man and a woman. It's yeah. crazy how recent that yeah. was. And, uh, I mean, it's amazing how far and we've come. that's what's interesting, too, is, like, that this – it did take so long after this movie came out in 1993. Because, yeah. like, the relationship Andrew Beckett had with his mother was incredibly progressive. Yes. From the get-go, his parents knew and were supportive that he had AIDS and mm-hmm. that he was hiding it from his employers. Yeah. And that he was going through, you know, uh, living with a man openly, all, all of that stuff. So that is – Quite insane to me. I mean, it was a big city. And that's the other thing about AIDS, right, is that it was a big city disease until the 90s. Um, But that, to me, was, like, I still know parents that that can't handle it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, some of these cringiest moments in this movie, it's, like, it's also terrible to hear because, like, this is still happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which we probably don't give enough credence to that, that, I mean, it the, with what's going on with presidential elections and campaigns, there's still people running on the platform to stop that. Yeah, to re- regress yeah. the progress we've made. Yeah. And, I mean, it's frustrating. They should watch Philadelphia. They should watch Philadelphia. I mean, and that's why I think this movie was so uh, important in its time because I feel like, you're right, it took a long time for us to get even as far as we have or even as far as, like... They were in the movie. The, yeah, so they were in the movie, which some... It's, it's not ubiquitous yet, but... Uh, it feels like this was the first push where, because like apparently in all the advertisements, they didn't. It was a courtroom drama. They they hid the fact that it was about AIDS. Interesting. So, I'm sure it was people like you know word of mouth gets around. It's like oh this is the movie about AIDS. Yeah. But it became this whole big social issue. And I felt like this was one of the first few films to, um, at least in the mainstream, handle it so carefully. And kind of introduced this as a well, yeah. I mean, just the testament that they did the trailers like that is testament to how careful they were. I mean, they they knew that they couldn't just they knew the time. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have built this movie as it is now. Is Tom Hanks with AIDS? Yeah, and I mean that is an expensive movie for a risk like that. Yeah, and you can see big movie the money being used in this movie. Some of the camera shots are really complicated. The extras, the background, the courtroom. Are insane. The courtroom. It's that's a, like a state courtroom. It's a real courtroom. Yeah, that's, that's a very nice courtroom. That's like yeah. a state Supreme Court, maybe. That's it's, a very nice room. Yeah. Um, and the extras. Remember we were talking about that? Yeah, the, the background work in the movie is phenomenal. They had Dr. J at a basketball game with the full game going on full of extras and a camera move through the box. Like, yeah, in a single that? shot. That was you, insane. That, I mean, like, half of the game is not in those seats because you are. Like, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's quite the budget. Yeah, so, I mean, I, they have crazy background stuff like that going on. But even, like, the smaller stuff, like, I kept noticing in the hospital, like, oh, there's a little girl talking and playing with the doctor in the background. It's like, there's so much life there. Like, they clearly gave her something to do. And yet, like, I didn't notice it until this time I watched it. And it's, like, well done with the with creating, like, a lively world. And I think that kind of comes from some of the filmmaking techniques he uses at the very beginning with uh, – Kind of like this almost cinema verite doc style where it's like we just see citizens of Philadelphia waving at the camera, completely breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. And I feel like that really introduces us into like this is a a real world. This is the real world. Yeah. And I really – I really think that's interesting. Yeah. I mean I actually found myself thinking again through this was like, wait, was this a true story or not? Because they had a lot of like specific – I mean they used um, the passage of time like, like a documentary would, you know? Where, like, they skipped to specific moments or they would recreate moments um, where, like, an incident happened that they needed to talk about for legal mm-hmm. discourse. So, like, it really did feel to me like it could have been a true story in the fact that there was, like, so much life in this guy's life before and after the case and that it did, like, ruin his life. Yeah, I agree. There's just a, there's a livelihood to the reality. And I think that was an important choice. And that's part, that comes back to camera, too, the reality aspect Um Half of the shots that we were like, wow, that's quite a weird uh, close-up. That's you know, it's super wide, or it's like tilted, or it's like blurry. Yeah. It was all POV shots. Yeah, uh, and in fact, Demi is known for his um, staring. The character staring directly yes. at the camera. There's very little like uh, over-the-shoulder shot, reverse yes. shot bullshit. Because um, I, I usually just can't stand that. But uh, really, 
I, I mean, sometimes it's like you gotta use it, but it's the it's the style it's, of the two thousands. It's often That's, this the is least, 90s style. Yeah, but this I mean, this isn't the nineties style. This is not a, a usual technique to use. It's not, but I'm saying like the more less over the shoulders. There's no dirties in like a lot of movies before like we went to super widescreen. Yeah, I mean that's probably true, um, but. I don't know, I just, it's usually used in a very lazy way is yeah. how, I, how I feel about it. But uh, for this, like, um, I, I noticed it, uh, it was very striking when he used the technique in Silence of the Lambs because when Clarice and uh, Lecter, like, are looking directly at the camera, it just has this unnerving, unsettling thing that is yeah. perfect and for the movie, with, movie. You can, it makes it so much more dramatic when you jump in, too. Mm-hmm. The distance of their stares, you know? You yeah. can feel them staring more intently as you move in. And we, like, just remove the wall between them in that scene, and then... You feel like a, a killer is staring at you. Yeah, so he uses the same technique in this movie. How does it... Which we just kind of talked about, but how did it work for you? It made me know from the first time we saw the partners that they were villainous. Right? Didn't it kind of yeah. get that feel? To yeah. Because, well, like, it was just, you don't feel as, it's more unsettling. That's, yeah, that's where it works, like, in the same Lecter way. Yeah, it's like exactly. when you meet the, the, the ancient white guy super rulers yes. of, the, of, the, of the lawyer company, uh, the senior partners. Jason Robards. Um, actor there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it just has that, that same unsettling quality where it's yeah. like, yeah, did distance into you, but they continue to use it for these more intimate scenes between, uh, like mostly I think Denzel and uh, Hanks, but also Hanks and Banderas. Also, um, Hanks and the prosecutor. I think w- once it gets into the film, it's more to show the weakness that he has. So mm-hmm. it's like softer and a little to show that he's like getting sicker and sicker. Yeah, I mean that that courtroom scene yeah. where Mary Steenburgen is just and taking one. him down. It's like yeah, we start to get to the canted angles, and like at that point we had stopped talking entirely yeah. for about ten minutes because it's such a captivating scene. Yeah, and the, did you realize the the sound drops out? Yeah, it's so well done, like that. That scene and actually the firing scene, I'm so impressed with the camera work and the performances. Yes. Because you just feel like he's so far that was away. That a perfect desk, right? Yeah, that desk was insane. He's so he's far so away. He's so far away and he didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Which says a lot about like He's the, confident. Like yeah. why would he? Well, also just the hierarchy of those guys. The yeah. power difference there, you know? So like he, he was powerless. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like the way the camera pushes in as he's slowly realizing he's being fired. It's so sinister. It's so creeping. And then we get like, yeah, this loss of power, which you're saying how weak he is with uh, the ending of the courtroom scene before he basically goes to the hospital for the remainder yeah. of the movie. Um, very impressive camera work. Uh, yeah. Um, sometimes mess around. And at first, I found I found the uh, the looking into the lens Lecter esque uh, shots he used unsettling, but it totally works the opposite way. I think as we go through the movie, because it also he also has a lot of uh, which we slightly touched upon um, emphasis on close ups, and he uses close ups really well because it's always about like. Um, am I being touched? Is it going? Is the AIDS virus going to transfer to me? And I think the other thing is when your actors talking directly to camera, they're talking directly to us. Yeah, and we are the jury in this movie. Yeah, and uh, so when we see like the hands touching, like we're thinking that's exactly what the the frame of mind for your average Joe was back in the nineties. It's like, yeah. could this happen to me? This is how it transfers. And uh, I love how that arc uh, uh, goes where. At the beginning of the movie, Denzel's freaking out that he touched a cigar, a wrapped cigar, on his desk, and then he willingly puts his mask back on his mouth. Yeah, it's it's great stuff. A lot of great detail, and there's like not a lot of attention. It's a visual way to do it. This is a courtroom movie. I mean, the most of it is, and it's hard to make a courtroom interesting. And they, this might be the best film courtroom scene, at least that I can call uh, call to memory. Uh, for me, it's always going to be a few good men. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's... But it's, that's a different style of, like, cuts and less camera moves, right? Yeah, but the camera moves are so... There's such a sense of space in this courtroom, and I well, love that. For me, that's what I was going to say. Going back to, like, the Demi style, it's like... We said that he does, like, the close-ups where you're looking into camera, but then the rest of his close-ups are the very drama-y, like... Like, he doesn't do dirty. It's, like, one person's face, yeah. 45 degrees, like, stri- like, the, like the cigar, you know? Like, mm-hmm. when he's noticing it, it's, like... You're you're seeing like almost like 
side view of them like notice it real fast, real close, and then they like react, go back to a wide. But um, uh, it's real. It's it's very in that sense, and then in the sense that he uses extras to motivate camera moves is very old fashioned Hollywood. Too. I like it a lot. Yeah, but it's very. It's like that's like one of the reasons I like Martin Scorsese. You know, yeah. it's like motivated camera moves based on action in mm-hmm. business is quick sell everywhere. Time like there's a scene where. Um, I think it's his dad walks into the courtroom and it follows him in over his shoulder. He comes out of the yeah. bathroom, yeah. walks in, follows him out of the bathroom, through the courtroom, flies over him, and then we're back up top. It's yeah, and it's like, it's a great scene, or a great, tra- it's like a scene transition. Um, yeah. Which there's a couple in this movie that are garbage. Yes. Yeah, that's very big, drastic, drastic. Uh, yeah, that, like that is a fantastic old Hollywood scene transition, and the opposite is like, this movie, we, we remarked as we were watching it, it doesn't quite escape the eighties because it's it's we're just getting out of there with like some of the haircuts and the fashion. Yes, and it's it certainly didn't uh, leave the nineties unscathed with some of these scene transitions. There's like two in the movie where it's like a complete flip, and it's like and then there's at least one Star Wars style screen wipe. It's bizarre. Like it makes the movie, it stands out like a sore thumb. What o- what also stands out to me is like. So tech, prog- we talked about like how progressive it was. It, and technology was like a big part of this movie, right? His first case was about like a tech. Uh, the biggest case at their firm was like a tech copyright yeah, yeah. thing. So tech must have been really sexy at the time. Uh, Denzel had a cell phone that was really advanced. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks had a laptop in 1993. He did, which is insane. It was what? so new that it didn't even have an operating system on it. I think it helped sell the whole like hotshot lawyerishness to have them, yeah. like, on the cutting edge of like you know. It's not only the biggest client; it's the biggest client in, in the like, biggest industry at the time. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. And he like knows his shit. He's on two different computers. He's, yeah. He's working without an operating system. He's handling their biggest case. Yeah. You know, he like, really is the hotshot lawyer. Yeah, exactly. It really adds to that. And and again, they're not really drawing attention to it in this very subtle, fantastic way where it's like all the evidence is there, but they're not gonna spell it out. Like he see he is a good lawyer. Like we see him in his law offices hanging out with the partners more than we see him practicing law. Yeah. Right? Like I mean there's a few times where he's studying, but it's always like after hours or like at home or after the case has started. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they do a good job of just establishing him as like high rising lawyer because of his responsibilities and how he works the upper management, right? Yeah, and his and his attitude. Obviously, we get into the once the movie is underway, we get into like his beliefs and like what he uh, admired about his superiors is you know, yeah kind of a, a great monologue. Um, but uh, no, I love the the subtlety actually used in this movie, and I think we get that in the camera work it's outside of this. Awful scene transitions. Yeah. Um, like, when's the last time you saw a movie do th- anything like that? Literally, Star Wars. I think I don't. Th- I don't think anyone liked it, but Star Wars. But no, I mean, like oh, the, the, the screen one, one? But the flip one. Like, what the fuck was that? That's like, like a cartoon transition to me. That's like on TV, like Saturday morning, like doing. Yeah, like, but around. I mean, but even that makes a little bit more sense. Like, I, I no, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah, what yeah. makes sense. It's it's weird. Um, there was an insert shot of a, of a punny building called Condemnation. Yes, that was great. <laughs> so it was the, it was the, it was the Philadelphian Citizens great opening music yeah. video to the song, to, sp- to the Springsteen song. And then for a half the length of any other clip, they had a quick Condemnation ad. And that's just, that's their, their only hint that it might have gay content coming up in the movie in the first five, ten minutes. I already talked about how there was maybe this talk that they weren't going to cast him and they were going to go with like a, a Bill Mayer or anybody who was a white guy. It was like a crazy idea to me. Yeah. Um, what do you think? To me, this was, this was Denzel's most Will Smithy role. Does that make sense? Like the hot shottiest, like I can most see what you're saying. Like I'm trying to think of a like a good example of like like it's like him as like a hitch or something. You know, like he's just overly confident. He's he's very like. And then we find out at the end that he's overly confident because he has some insecurities, right? Yeah. Which is like great arc for a character, but um, I just I'm not used to seeing him be such a fast talker. I'm most, I'm, I'm used to him seeing more of a smooth talker. I think uh, I think it's the mustache that helps too. The mustache helps. <laughs> Uh, like, just how many times he said Iris's name, his assistant? Iris, yes. Iris, did you get that? Iris, Iris, are you listening to me? And she'd be, like, answering. It's I, like, he was on it. Too. It was, like, coked up almost. Right. I mean, it's Johnny not, Cochran is how I, I, I described it when we were watching right. it. Which makes sense, though, because, like, this is still the 90s, and that's the most... Had like, that happened? That hadn't happened yet. It was 90... 94. 90, okay, so I guess this... Maybe Johnny Cochran modeled his uh, performance yeah. on uh, Denzel. That's funny. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. Um... 
but no, yeah, I, I it's certainly not the typical Denzel role, especially uh, nowadays. But I really liked it. I mean, I guess it was. I, I'm trying to think of what his contemporary roles were at the time. Like Pelican Brief was around then, so he was used to being like a lawyer. But even in that, he's more of like a like a stand, like a laid back, smoother kind of dude. He's a law student, right? No, he's not. He's a professor of hers, I think. But it's much more like reserved character, mm-hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure that was around the same time. Yeah, that was '93 as well. Another another uh, crime drama, court case. Yeah, um, but uh, he's great in this movie. I'd say. I think. Again, I, I I keep coming back to like the subtlety of the the camera work, but I think it, it's there in the performances too. Like, there's a lot of like little funny business things that really like give life to it. And uh, I, I had to call out while we were watching it. There's this moment where he's holding. Or his baby is just born, and he's trying to take a picture because, of course, he has a, to load film into a camera because it's yes. the 90s. Uh, but he can't do it, so his wife takes it from literally just having given birth and is holding their child and puts the film in properly so he can take it. I just love that yeah. dynamic. And then, like, we cut, like, uh, two scenes later, and he's passed out, and she's still holding the baby. Yeah. And, like, I just... There's something that I, I, it's, I love it's, that. He like worked himself into a frenzy. Yeah, like yeah. It's just. It tells you about his character. It's funny and yeah. it's subtle. It's not over the top. Um, and I mean, this is a good movie for reaction shots too. Yeah. So much of the acting is watching other people talk. And they're pickups. It's old Hollywood yeah. style. So that's like impressive. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, D- Demi um, doesn't rehearse. With actors, that's insane. Like what he does is he gets his cast and they do a table read or two, maybe on location, but it's like a read at, sitting at location, not blocking. Yeah, and then the actors get ready on their own and then come to set and they run it a few times. I mean, there's like they get it. There's thousands of different directing styles, and uh, I mean, when you hire a cast this good, it's fascinating directing style for when you're shooting on film, though. To me, yeah. Oh my god, I can't even think about it. Like to get that single camera move from the basketball court and everything. Yes. Impressive stuff. Yes. Like Demi, he runs his ship tightly. Yes, he does. Oh, man. Um, what would you say is your favorite Denzel scene? My favorite Denzel scene? Um, it's the hardest one to watch, but definitely the one in the like the Dwayne Reed store when he gets um, solicited by the basketball player. Yeah. Because like, he's so proud of what he's doing for the case and you think it's because he's like helping gay rights but then you see that he's still not there yet you know yeah. and it's too close to home for him that people might think he's gay that he's helping he almost wants to stop helping and that's that scene comes off like right uh, I think that's after the scene in the bar where he's on TV and all like the yeah he's younger. already defended people for like but even in that defense right he said I, like, those people make me sick but yeah I find know, it disgusting the so, law has been broken yeah I think the, the scenes. I think, yeah, his most impressive stuff is, like, when it's hard to watch him, even yeah. though he's our hero. Yeah. And it's like, oh, God, we used to be like that. Or, like, at least popular opinion used to be like yeah. that. Some of us Or it's are. hard to change, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, he really was trying the best he could for a long time. Um, but, like I said before, and, like, with that scene shows, it's hard to tell if he's doing it because he knows it's right or because he wants to change. I Yeah. I mean, do you believe that it's... Well, I, I mean, I certainly believe that in the beginning of the movie, he's he doesn't want to change. Yeah, he's doing it because he believes in the law. Yeah, so I do think he thinks it's right. Yeah, but uh, but I mean, it's sometimes it's hard to tell if that's the only reason he's doing it. You know? Yeah. Oh, well, I think by the end of the movie, though, he's changed for sure. Yeah, but I th- I don't know. The changing wasn't really until the the litigators started calling into question like that it was moral choices that got him there, right? Which is a great swing. Yeah. Um, yeah, once they started, started calling out, and it would stop being about AIDS, and it started being about exactly. homosexuality, and that then he realized of, that's what exactly what he was doing. Yeah, right? and that's when he started attacking, or well, yeah, attacking the witnesses, like questioning their sexuality, yeah. because it became the subtext became the text at that point. Yeah, and also, I mean, if I was a lawyer, that would have been the first question I asked, because how are you going to prove that they're discriminatory if you don't know if they're not that? Right. Well, I mean, you need to establish that they're straight to prove <clears> that they could discriminate. So, I, I mean, like. It makes sense that they used it very dramatically in the in the movie. Yeah, as like a as like I've had it with this. The subtext needs to come up, but really, as far as like legal discourse goes, I feel like that would be. Well, it goes back to we were talking about how weird it is that you swear in on a Bible, right? Yeah. And so you still swear in on a Bible in this time in history, but the Bible doesn't say you can be gay. 
So it's like, why is the Bible there if very, precedent is set that they, it's illegal to do that? That's stuff. always just, bothered me in a general sense, but it, it, you're right. In a very specific sense. In this movie, it really bothered sense. me. Yeah, I was just like, um, that's just very weird. And that's the thing they really do. It's not just a movie convention anymore. No, they really do that. That's that biz- that's bizarre to me. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to. You you have to be sworn in. So I mean, that I, I get you the know oath. you know when it's when you can be prosecuted for what you say. You yeah. know, so there's a do- decider in the time, but there's no reason it needs to be on a Bible. Yeah, like the Constitution, maybe or a flag. Yeah, or- that always made more sense to me. Like the swear on the Constitution because like. That's, that's the laws you're breaking. Yeah. Like, the laws of the Bible, that's... Half people don't care if they break the laws of the Bible. No. Like, and then, uh, why I mean, would you not lie if that's what you're... I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah. But in this movie especially, it was like, I don't know if they realized that that was there, but it's like, they said even one of the things, do you think it's wrong? Read your Bible. And he had just... And then, you know, that was the only person we saw sworn in, I think, was... Yeah. Was a... Uh, at least there was a big why. They made a big deal of that swearing. Mm. It's a really well-made movie. Unfortunately, all the motivations and stuff are very timely right now with what's going on with, like, Donald Trump and stuff. Yeah. It's a lot of the same emotions. Are well, I think that's... The, the fear that they're talking about. What, what did Denzel say? That it comes down to a fear of, like, homosexuals? That's half of... Yeah, a fear of homosexuals, a fear of misunderstanding. I feel like um, sort of like how quote-unquote racism was solved, like, in the 80s, 90s range. Like, this is, like, the start of, like, oh, we've solved homosexuality. But really, we just kind of, like... Brushed under the rug. Brushed a lot of the the bad things under the rug. And it's... it's Like, people can have those thoughts, they just can't say them. Yeah, and then those... Then people get frustrated and want to say them louder. Yeah, and, like, the people feel like, oh, but this is my rights, then... Because they fundamentally misunderstand the Constitution and whatnot. Yeah. It's uh, so so. You saying this movie has a lot of timely things. Do you think that this is a movie that plays? How does it play to a modern audience? Well, that's what's interesting too. Is like the things that made it that helped it, like the fact that the technology was cutting edge and stuff like that. Those are the things that make it not play as well now. It's not like the story doesn't play as well. There's some states where they probably haven't even heard of things like this yet. You know what I mean? There's some pockets of America where there's this would be a t- very timely story. That's. It's frustrating to think about that. There are, yeah, I mean, there's there's people who are getting in trouble for denying um, marriage licenses to people in states where you can get married. So, like, there are people that would watch yeah. this and be like, this is ludicrous, you know? Like, so I think it still definitely plays. There's just a few stylistic things, like the technology and the clothes, that do take you out. It's like watching the first season of Friends versus the fifth season of Friends. It's a little easier to stomach. Right, right. But, I mean, at the same point, it is, it's very much a, a period of its time, too, where it feels like, if you watch it now, it's... Almost like a period piece, so I think it kind of works. Yeah. The thing that stands out to me is going to be those scene transitions. Yeah, but um, as a period piece, it's it's very interesting because like I'm not not a lot of period pieces are those issues still day to day talked about. Yeah, in politics, takes a little bit out of you. It's a draining movie. It's because the the funny thing is when we did the first Tom Hanks giving uh, holiday celebration before it was a podcast. Uh, we had all a bunch of friends come over when I was living in Chicago, and we were like, "All right, we're gonna marathon all the Hanks movies we can in this day." And we started with like some fun ones, or, like Big Joe vs. the Volcano, and then eventually we just like land on, "Oh, we'll watch Philadelphia." Still and Philadelphia. Then everybody left after that. That's hilarious. Because I mean, nobody disliked it, but it's so yeah, heavy. Yeah. Um. So we're we're gonna try and lighten that up a, a little bit with uh. Let's talk about the man himself. Let's talk about Tom. Mr. Hanks. Hanks. Um, this is the one he won the Oscar for. Yeah, so this was the first Oscar. What was the next one? Forrest Gump, right? Yeah, he was nominated for uh, performance for Big. Which was win. like 80-something. 80 88. 88. Uh, and then 93, he wins it for Andrew Beckett in uh, Philadelphia. And became producing partners with Jonathan Demme ever since. Yes. And then uh, he won an, his second Academy Award for um, Forrest Gump the next year. Wow. And I would definitely say... Uh, no spoilers to our eventual Forrest Gump episode, but I think the performance is stronger in this one. And then in Forrest Gump? I do. Really? I um, mean, there was... This was, again, going back to, like, old Hollywood, like, stagey. There were a few scenes that were very, very dramatized in this that you wouldn't find in, like, a Forrest Gump, right? Yes, I mean, there's... The, the dancing with the IV and the lights flashing. The, I, I was gonna... Yeah, I wanted to bring that up. The opera scene where he's dancing... Like, I kind of like the intensity of it, but it, the performance is a little showy. For That's me. what I'm saying. There were I a few agree. scenes that were a little showy. Um, I don't know if that was him trying to be homosexual. If that's too stereotypical for me to say. I don't... I don't read it that way, but I could see what you're you know, saying. You know, like, I, I don't know if that's where he was going or not, but, like, 
Um, Judging from the context of the film, it feels like that scene had to be as heightened as it was because it leaves such an impression on Denzel's character. Well, the that, music is what still carrying. What was the impression? When he tried to go back to the door, when he double-taked, what was that? I, th- I What I saw was that he... That he was going to kill himself or something? Well, no, he just recognizes how fragile this guy is. Oh, I got you. And it's like he's he's lost it. He's lost the will. Yeah. And he's so he in He didn't want to leave. He didn't know yeah. he should be leaving. But he, he also was like, I'm so uncomfortable with this still. Yeah. Which is why he tries to go back. And then why? And that's why I read it as him showing this being homosexual because it did off-put Denzel. He was like, this is weird. You know? I mean, yeah, I think it's kind of... I took He's it, asking him personal questions and then he dove into that. Yeah. I took it more of as he's uncomfortable because it's like the raw humanity of someone dying in front of you. Yeah. I can see what you're saying, um, certainly with the specific choice to the opera, but I, I think it works as a confluence of both. Yeah. But uh, I love the touch that he the opera music still plays over the film as he's checking on his loved ones, making sure yeah. they're they're alive and just holding onto them tight because he's like seeing what can happen. Yeah. Um and but to go back to the initial point, that like the performance is fine, but it's a little showy. Yeah, for like me. and him translating the whole song in Italian was like it just was much more showy than the rest of his performance. Yeah, um, um, there was another scene kind of like that. The Antonio Banderas one where he snaps the book away. I thought that one was a little like. Uh, I kind of I like this because it, Antonio Banderas did better than he did. I just thought it was like a little. I don't know. I liked I liked his performance because he's petulant at that point. It's kind of like he's putting off. Yeah, like he doesn't want to deal with the fact that he's yeah. dying. And he kind of jokingly put, brings up that, like, yeah, maybe we'll do my last will and testament. And then the fact that Banderas comes back with, like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Just, yeah. So I feel like he is intentionally overacting when the book thing happens. He's being to a try to snob. sound, like, cool. Like, seem like he's fine. Yeah, it's a defense mechanism. Yeah. That's why I, I, I would defend that scene. Um, the show, again, I don't think anything's wrong with the showiness. It just doesn't work for me as much. But the rest of the, the, the movie... The subtlety of the performance, how quiet he is. Like so much of the courtroom scene is just him listening. Yeah. But when you get, when he gets up and how vulnerable he feels, like I. Well, he's a different ache. character by the time they get to the trial. Yeah. Right. So before he's like helping to like move the story along, and then mm-hmm. they get to the trial, and he's much more just, um, you know, he's letting it unfold before him. Yeah. Uh, but going into the trial beforehand, the. You could tell how smart he was mm-hmm. just from, like, the stares he was giving people. Like, the scene where he tries to go sign Denzel is a great scene. Yes. Like, his performance in that is just fantastic. Love it. When he sees him in the, the, the library, did you find a lawyer? I'm a lawyer. Great. Yeah. Great line. Great delivery. I li- no, yeah, he- no time wasted. He goes right back to work. You know, yeah. you can tell how smart and motivated and he is. And you can see how he knows exactly how Denzel and everybody else around him feels about him. Yeah. And he's just... He's conflicted, but he's like still that kind of self-righteous guy he was from the beginning. Yeah. So he's like, no, I'm going to make sure. He's still some fight in him. Yeah. And that's, I think, what's so devastating about this performance is you see that fight die. And I think the last time we see it is actually during the showy opera thing. Like, I think that's his kind of surrender. Yeah. Because the, la- the last time he has any real fight is probably the uh, the petulance with Banderas, where at that point it's, it's come down to this like little kid's like, I don't want to do that. I think... Visually represented to me, the last fight was the witness stand. Like literally, we saw the last energy leave him. Well, I I suppose that's true. Um, but uh, I, I think at that point he's lost it. Like I mean, I guess maybe it's the plating him. Yeah, but, uh, and, and maybe we're. But his answers are still a little, you know, they still have some of that like punching them. Yeah, it's not that, that he's, he's given up. I yeah. guess it's right. But either way, you're seeing this like slowly fade out of him and yeah. like I think that's kind of like I mean it's a perfect parallel with him actually dying is just seeing this element of him just suffer yeah and uh, I, I it works really well like and uh, there's a there's a piece I pulled out um, that's just uh, it's so th- there's again the subtlety the small quiet moments when the very beginning of the movie where he's at the uh, hospital and he sees the person who's clearly sick being tended to by the doctor and just the cutaway shot and he just Puts up his uh, headphones, like, yeah. tuning this all out. Yeah, he know he knows it's weighing on his conscious, and uh, he's not he's not dealing with it. Yeah, 
and then he calls his mom and he just diffuses, you know, like, how, how are you doing? Oh, more, no, nothing. How more importantly, how are you doing? Yeah. And cuts. That's how he talks to his parents about it, too. Because mm-hmm. obviously at that point he's lying. He knows what's going on or yeah, what's happening. they know what's going on. Remember, yeah. she starts crying. Like, yeah. Oh, God. It's a harrowing movie. The mom did a great job. Yes. Really, really good job. I think that's why they focused on her instead of the dad. Yeah, the dad was less emotive. I mean, he was there, but, like, we didn't need both of them. Uh, well, I like the mom a lot. I mean, I think it goes back to like what we're saying. How progressive is the parents if they're together and supportive? Yeah, it's insane. Like, yeah. it's much more common story for like one parent to like be supportive. Yeah, which is which is uh, strange too, because like that beginning of that scene where he's kind of talking to his family about how the trial's going to go down, it almost reads a little bit like his siblings are a little judgmental. Like you're doing this. to I us. think that was just poor acting. That was a weird scene, right? And that, thank yeah. you, brother. Oh, little half-brother, I got you. It was a lot of exposition. That was like, we joked yeah, during yeah, it. That yeah. was one of the scenes they might have that's where wanted you f- to rehearse. Yeah, that's where you felt the, the lack of rehearsal. Yeah. And uh, I think, like, that, yeah, I mean, that that's maybe the the one scene that really suffers from that, um, especially. But it should have been a powerful scene. Yeah, and it, I mean, especially because we got the impression, we knew this was his family from the Yeah, we the knew they were stuff. supportive. We, we just, just saw. Yeah, exactly. And so we didn't need to be like, this is his brother. Like, we get it. Yeah. Um, and they never come back up. So, like, what's the point? The only person who's, you even see in the trial again is, like, the sister. Well, we see, we see the brothers, I think, th- maybe not throughout the trial, but, like, they're in the hospital room. Yeah. I'm wondering if now I'm, like, the, the They paranoid. added people in the hospital room, too, though. So I was very confused. Like, there were people that weren't, it wasn't just brothers. Yeah. Well, I, I assumed it was, like, maybe the spouses of the brothers okay. or something. But there's that one brother who starts crying over it. And I was like, oh, yeah. maybe they just... We want to make sure this is a brother that yeah. we know it is. And it's like, oh, we're paranoid that, oh, does, is this another boyfriend? Are we going to confuse the audience? Yeah. So another, like, there there have been a few uh, very big, like, c- cases of HIV and AIDS. Um, in, like, 80s and 90s, there was Freddie Mercury, mm-hmm. um, Easy e which caused quite the ruckus in both black and white communities because it was a straight person who unknowingly got AIDS. Um, and, yeah, but it's crazy to think that those happened, some of those happened after 90. After this movie, and we're yeah. still such big news stories. And like this, this it's movie so is, surprising. In that sense, is like the movie prescient? Is it like before its time? Like ahead of its time? Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting that it won an Academy Award and still there, you know, like you think that it would be seen by more people and these things wouldn't be as, as shocking. But, well, we were also talking about how it was interesting to watch this now because like of like online dating, right? And you'll see like feel the burn yeah. signs in the like... All kinds of things about like, getting STD checks and how like common that's supposed to be now, or or unfortunately how common it is to contract STDs with like online dating and like mm-hmm. things like that. Um, it's a, it's so much so much a part of life now. Yes, it's and like so there's much. almost like we haven't gotten to the point where there's like completely no judgment for people who have this thing, but like we're at the point where people can be like, "Hi, and I have this," and like, do you know that there are dating sites for people with STDs? Yeah, specific ones. So like, it is something that like people are trying to you know live with and work around, um, and people are being more supportive of that. But it's still, yeah, it's still a stigma. It's still, I mean, it's definitely not treated in the way where it's like, oh, is it the? It's still misinformed. It's still it's still misinformation that's causing this, and like a lack of like I don't know, I don't know. But I I still feel like there's a there's a lack of empathy for this. Because yeah. you got yourself into it. Yeah. Which is what the whole argument with uh, the defensive side or the, uh, yeah. the prosecution side. From bad, no, from risky behavior. Side. Yeah. But I, wh- what I'm getting at is like um, there's still a lot of people who don't know how you get AIDS. That might have had it even other like, uh, uh, STDs. Like they yeah. think that you can get it way easier, you know. Or like there's some people who think that like you could get herpes from ways you don't actually get herpes. There's just a lot because there's just... Like, it's not something that people want to talk about. There's still a lot of confusion, and confusion leads to, you know, mistakes, risky behavior. So I feel like we're building to kind of a, a not... I mean, it, it was always going to be cut this. that part out. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was always too heavy. It was always going to be this kind of an ending when yeah. we're talking about Philadelphia of all movies. Yeah. But it feels like we're building this point where it's like, this, this movie was, uh, like, it has a lot of really great things to say, but it kind of... Like, we're still dealing with it. Yeah, like, I mean, it's still saying them. Like, uh, that's why it was so powerful, I think. Yeah. It's because it's like, wow, this is, uh, like, did you not feel like you've uh, stereotyped and uh, discriminated against some people while you watched that movie? I did. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's called the th- it's at times, like, in the past where it's just like, shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I've seen this before. Yeah. Oh, man. It's a heavy movie, guys. Yeah. Um, it's a great movie, I would say. It's a great movie. I mean... Hard movie to watch. There aren't... There aren't a lot of courtroom dramas that aren't thrillers. Yeah, and you know? this is definitely... Just a courtroom a, drama, A standing which is example of, of not that. Yeah. yeah. It also really is one of Denzel's better roles. Yeah. I would say one of better... One of Tom Hanks' yeah. better roles. One of the... We didn't even talk about Mary Steenburgen. Oh, yes. She's fantastic as kind of the villain, or at least the face of the villain Demi's main girl. Yes. I mean, so fantastic. Good. Um, of course, I've loved her since Back to the Future Part 3. Yeah. And she's wonderful now and in everything, but... Uh, Still on TV in Last Man on Earth. Yeah. Still on TV. Still sexy. Yeah. Um, um, ageless. I mean, she's been... Honestly, she... Did you say ageless or ageless? Ageless. Both. <laughs> both, God willing. Uh, uh, <laughs> she really has been... Made quite the name for herself as a comedy actress, right? Yeah. Like, she's been on some... Like, 30 Rock. She was amazing. She's big on 30 at, Rock. Like, she's on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. No, so it was interesting to see her play the villain. Because I remember that she could be, like... I'm sure. I'm pretty sure she's been like the bad mom in some movies yeah. and stuff and things like that. But it's been quite quite a while. Such a range. Like everybody, all the the heavy hitters, very range. Like Hanks is a range. Denzel is a range. Steenbridge in big range. I, it's it's great cast. Yeah, I mean Jason Robards, the the Wheeler guy, great. The main mm, yeah, oh yeah, great. Um, he's that right kind of despicable, and then there's that humanity. Like yeah, he shows a lot of range too in this movie specifically. Yeah, I mean he genuinely feels bad when um, Becca gives him such a glowing review. Yeah, you know, which is just great. Oh cutaway. yeah, that's like the perfect way to piss someone yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. And the fucking Malcolm in the Middle guy, he's on the jury. Fucking Cougar from Seinfeld. Yeah, that, Cougar. That was interesting to me. I thought he would play a bigger. I thought he was going to side with them more. There was that one thing where they're like joking, like that nod, and I was like, I didn't really come. Back I, I think that comes back to, uh, and I think I'll, we'll use this to wrap up um, how the filmmaking techniques uh, where it's a lot of point of view and a lot of we're staring into the camera. Uh, it's making the audience, the the jury, feel how that defendant. Or the guy on the witness stand could maybe yeah, and like and, and most of middle of Amer- or most of the audience of this movie at that time was probably like, gay people are disgusting. We should throw them in a latrine after we've all pissed in it. So yeah. like that's when uh, I forgot I, about that line. Oh yeah, my God. it's it's dark. I mean, and uh, yeah. the, and the the juror, the guy we're talking about, uh, Kruger from Seinfeld. I can't remember his real name. May he rest in peace. Um, uh, He's, like, smiling and, like, totally agreeing. So it's setting him up, like, oh, this is going to be the guy who's, like, yeah. we're not going to do it. But I love that he comes out and he's practical about it. Yes. And, I mean, obviously this is the optimistic hope that this movie will show the compassion that this juror has that the audience will gain towards all these people. Yeah. And, uh... Hopefully. I mean, we've gotten a lot better. We're still not great. I guess there's a way to lighten this up a little bit, right? Like, mm-hmm. there... Did that movie not make you feel like the justice system works? Yeah, I well, I think actually that's a great thing because it comes down to what the movie's about, and obviously it's got all these topics. But I think uh, uh, Hank says it like kind of his last thing he says when he's on stage or on a stand. He goes, um, "It's about justice because sometimes it's not the sometimes that the system works, but like to be a part of." having justice done. Yeah, that's what he said. His favorite thing about being a lawyer yes. was that sometimes you get to be a part of justice. Yeah, and I think that's... It's like, yes, yeah, sometimes... Most of the time it doesn't, but sometimes, yes, the system, the rules we have that we have written and we've built a whole country on, they're intended to help people. They're intended to work. And sometimes we do make change. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the best way to look at the movie. It really is. I mean... It's an inspiring movie. It's a it's a it's a yeah. deep movie, but it's a very inspiring movie. Well, and, and, and like that's the thing you hear about a lot of Oscar Beatty films. But yes. like, I think it's legitimately about powerful issues. Has great performances, and yes, it's about it's inspiring. Yeah, unlikely friendships. It's got a lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, and what a, I mean, like with that being the main dynamic is like let's let's have the the buddy dynamic, which is like they don't get along and then they come together. It's like what a beautiful version of that. Yeah, I mean when he when he. Says goodbye to Antonio Banderas in the hallway. 
You know, we started this movie where Denzel wouldn't even touch yeah. the guy. Now he's, like, hugging his boyfriend, uh-huh. you know, totally fine with the lifestyle and everything. Which <sighs> is really interesting. And it's heartbreaking because you know Denzel's saying goodbye to him. And he keeps saying, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll yeah. see you next time. Which is, and he knows he'll never see him again. I'm going to keep that one, though, in the bank. That is a slick move if you ever meet someone on the deathbed, to be see honest. See you tomorrow. Yeah. That's, that's it's kind of the coward's way out. <laughs> Dude, I feel like half the people in that situation, other, like half the people in the bed want to take the coward's way well, out. Well, that's the yeah. thing. Like, I imagine myself in the bed and be like, you're not going to see me again. This is it. Yeah. Because I would be that dick. You still in death. <laughs> I would force you to make f- feel bad. I would be in denial. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I would just probably be, take the coward's just, way out, yeah, too. I would just be in um, denial. Well, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast. We're going to take the coward's way out now. Yeah. And stop talking about heavy stuff. Uh, Joe. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on the this show, man. This is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, where can people find you? What do you want them to look at, listen to, anything? Um, yeah, I mean, check us out at Hoodworks Films on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, May 1st, we're going to have our first stuff out. Actually, our host here is uh, the lead in our first project. Uh, well, it's, it's pretty good. Another thing, over there. another thing about uh, some discrimination. Yeah, some discrimination. It's kind of yeah, Exactly. So, uh, no Tom Hanks in the Sandlot, but if you love the Sandlot... Yeah, check you out, might like this one. Check we'll out Hoodworks. All right. That's our discussion for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned a little something about Philadelphia or just about maybe the 90s in general or perhaps even the world around you. Uh, I know I had a great time. Thanks again to Joe. Uh, if you want to follow the podcast, you know where to go. At Tom Hanks Pod. Email us with your thoughts on the movies and... Uh, other stuff you could talk about that's Hanks related to TomHanksPod at gmail.com. You can find me anywhere and everywhere at any time of day at Elvis Kunish on Twitter, Instagram, and all sorts of things. Uh, check out our YouTube page, uh, youtube.com slash Splot Studios for some Hanks related and non-Hanks related stuff. And uh, for next week, we invite you back to solve a mystery. The mystery of the weirdest hair choice we've ever seen. That's right, it's finally time we crack the Da Vinci Code. Until next time, thanks for listening. Tom Hanks is a friend you can turn to when cold winds blow. Cold winds blow. And then you'll know now and forever. A friend in this world